Welcome, my name is Troy, my wife Darla and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us today, we want to say welcome. Boy, did you choose a series to visit. We pray that you'll come all four weeks and experience all four movies, and then as Pastor Brian said, join us for the carnival. Here's what we're going to do, I want to go ahead and give you kind of a heads up. I'm going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 4. I understand you got Cokes and popcorn in your hand, normally I'd tell you to open up your Bible, you may not be able to do that today if you're balancing all of those things, and so don't worry, we'll have it on the screen behind me, we'll be in the book of Matthew chapter 4. This series, At the Movies, the whole concept is this. We believe that in today's box office hits, there are biblical principles that you can pull out that help us to know God. And so I believe actually every time, I'm a movie guy, and so every time I sit down to watch movies, there's always something in the movie that I can pinpoint that kind of helps me see God in the process. Because here's the deal. Everything that we know or have has been created by who? God. So every creative idea that a director ever had, every cool line, every smooth moment, every romantic moment, the whole uh, you complete me, that, that iconic moment, hey, that came from God, right? Because Jesus completed us. You know what I'm saying? Like everything, every best moment has come from God so we can give God the glory with even movies. Although I say this, uh, movies, when you start talking about secular movies and church, it can get a little, it can get a little weird, right? People tend to get a little... Uh, up, up, up crazy about it. I was talking to one individual, not, not a churchgoer, just a, a person I was talking to, and I was telling him about just the fact that I'm a fan of movies. And I, I'm a big fan of Tom Cruise movies. Will Smith and Tom Cruise, I'm just an action guy. And so I was telling him, and I'm like, man, I love the Mission Impossibles. And, and the guy said, well, you realize that Tom Cruise is a Scientologist, right? And, and I did. I do know that. I read too. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I know that. I said, but I choose to believe that Ethan Hunt on Sunday morning serves in the kids' ministry at his church. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's an impossible mission right there. So that's kind of the way I tend to believe. And so no matter where you are, you might be an action movie person. You might be a rom-com. You might be sci-fi. Maybe you're a Star Trek or Star Wars. Or, or maybe you're Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings or whatever, all this fantasy crazy stuff. Or maybe you're like me and you just want to see The Rock beat up everybody, right? It's just how it works. And so no matter who you are or what you like, there are principles uh, all throughout these movies. And so today's movie, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but you won't need to have seen the movie any weeks to enjoy the message. And so today's movie is The Incredibles Part 2, and I want you to watch this trailer real quick as we get ready. Behold the Underminer! Watch after Jack-Jack. I thought we were going to go You heard your mother trampolining. We need a gap. Superheroes are illegal. We want to fight bad guys. I you a bad guy. It defines who I am. We're not saying you have... What? Someone on TV said it. I was approached by this tycoon. Wants to talk about hero stuff. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need Elastigirl. Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it. I don't know that way. Why would they change math? Math is math. Math is math. All over Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf are dozing. Your eyelids so heavy, they're drooping. Closing! I couldn't have done this if you hadn't taken over so well. I've got to succeed so she can succeed. So we. I get it, Bob. What the? That is 
is freaky. But I can't keep giving him cookies. Oh! Nobody in a daddy. What? Done properly, parenting is a heroic act. Done properly. <laughs> My favorite line is, Math is math. Why do we change math? Amen, parents, right? If you're helping your kids, you're like, what is a triangle? Why is there letters in math? It's supposed to be numbers. Listen, uh, one, I took our kids, me and daughter took our kids in the sneak peek to watch this movie. And one of the reasons why I loved it so much, I was a big Incredibles fan with part one, but part two I really enjoyed. And here's why I enjoyed it. Yes, in case you've never seen it, this whole movie is about a family of superheroes, The Incredibles. But what I loved about part two is we didn't focus so much on them being a superhero family and, being, and having superhero qualities as much as it focused on this, their ability to balance the expectation of being superheroes and the expectations of just living everyday life. And when I saw that, I thought, man, that is me. You know, I always want to be Mr. Incredible. I want to be the incredible dad, and I want to be the incredible husband. I want to be the incredible pastor. And, and, and often what's going on is I'm trying to figure out how to be what I want to be and what I think you expect me to be, and at the same time balance everyday life. And I just wanted to ask you this question. Have you ever felt this pressure to be incredible? You ever felt this pressure to be an incredible mom or an incredible dad or an incredible spouse or an incredible boss, an incredible Christian? Meanwhile, in reality, you're just trying to figure out how to balance everyday life, right? You know, you want to be the best dad, but you're just trying to figure out how to do math. You know, you want to be the best Christian, but you're just trying to figure out what it actually means, what the word Hebrew or Greek even means. And so you're trying to be these things, but at the same time, you're trying to balance everyday life. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is getting ready. He has been baptized, and he's getting ready to do a campaign of ministry for about three and a half years. And, and, and before he ever gets going, something interesting happens that I want to show you real quick in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this, Then Jesus was led, everybody say led, led by the Spirit, which is God, into the wilderness to be, watch this, tempted by the devil. So Jesus has not even started one ounce of miracle ministry yet, and God leads him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he immediately experiences pressure. And what I want to do just for a quick moment this morning is I want to look at what Jesus did, and I want to help us learn how to be able to overcome the pressure that is in our life, the power to overcome pressure. Before we get started, check out this clip. All we need now are the super superheroes. It needs you three. Come on, help me make all supers legal again. But this sounds great. Let's get this going. What's my first assignment? That enthusiasm is golden. Now hold on to it. But for our first move, well, Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> I mean, she's good. She's uh, really a credit to her, but uh, you know. <laughs> you know. With great respect, let's not test the whole insurance will pay for everything idea on the first go-round, okay? <clears throat> All right, wait a minute. You're saying what? I'm messy? Well, Evelyn did a cost-benefit analysis comparing all your last five years of crime fighting before going underground. And Elastigirl's numbers are self-explanatory. Well, it's not a fair comparison. I mean, heavyweight problems need heavyweight solutions. Of course. We're going to solve all kinds of problems together. 
after the perfect launch with Elastigirl. So, what do you say? What do I say? <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? A few hours ago, you were saying it was over and being a superhero was a fantasy. Now you get the offer of a lifetime and you don't know? It's not that simple, Bob. I want to protect the kids. So do I. From jail, Bob! And how do you do that? By turning down a chance to change the law that forces them to hide what they are? They haven't decided what they are. They're still kids. Kids with powers, which makes them supers, whether they decide to use those powers or not. This will benefit them. Look, it's not a good time to be away. Dash is having trouble with homework. Vi is worried about her first date with that boy she likes, Tony. And Jack-Jack. Jack-Jack? What's wrong with him? Okay, nothing's wrong with Jack-Jack. But even a normal baby needs a lot of attention. I'm just not sure I can leave. Of course you can leave. You've got to. So that I, we can be supers again, so our kids can have that choice. <laughs> So you can have that choice. All right, yes, so I can have that choice. And I would do a great job, regardless of what Devers pie charts say or whatever. But they want you. And you'll do a great <laughs> job, too. That was excruciating to watch. <laughs> I can't lie to you. It's nice to be wanted. It's flattering, you know, but... Well, what's a choice? One, do this right, get well paid, we're out of the motel, and things get better for all supers, including our kids. Or two, I find a job in two weeks or we're homeless. You know what's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break You'll it. You'll be great. I know I will. But what about you? We have kids. I'll watch the kids, no problem. Easy. Easy, huh? You're adorable. Well, if there is a problem, I'll drop this thing and come right back. You won't need to. I got it. You go. Do this thing. Do it so I can do it better. <laughs> Did anybody else see themselves in that clip where you're sitting there and you're having a discussion with your wife or your husband or whoever it is, your parents, about all the pressure that you're under, the things you're trying to figure out? And Here's what I've learned, that in today's culture, you and I are under an extreme amount of pressure. And pressure has become so common, right? It's, it's common to be busy. It's common to have high expectations of each other. But as much as pressure has become common, that common pressure is killing us. And the reason it's killing us is this. It's because you and I are carrying weight that we were never built to carry. It, there's a pressure today, if you think about it, there's a pressure in every area of your life. If you cook dinner... You can't just cook dinner, right? You've got this pressure from all of social media to not only cook dinner, but to plate it well. You gotta make sure that it's vegan or keto friendly, right? It's all that you can't just make mac and cheese and meatloaf and go, shut up, you're lucky you're getting food. You know what I mean? Like those days are gone. There's this pressure for just dinner. I thought about this there's pressure for vacation. The last thing you want to do is go on a vacation and then see someone else's vacation on Facebook and go, our vacation didn't compare. They went to the beach, and we went to the Moon Pie Festival. You know what I mean? Like, there's not really much of a... And there's this pressure, whether it's eating, whether it's vacationing, whether it's your weekend. I deal with this a lot, is I will compare the way I spent my weekend to the way people are spending theirs. And I'll see them down at Piercy Priest, and they're hiking, and they're on jet skis, and I vegged out on the couch the whole weekend. You know what I mean? There's just this pressure to do stuff. 
For those of you that are football fans, I was thinking about this. We've added a pressure to football because years ago, all we had to do was like one team. And if we liked one team, if that team won, the weekend was fantastic. You know what I mean? Everything was great. Now we have to care about every team because we got a player on our fantasy team that plays on every team, right? And so now you're pressured the entire week. It's just pressure from every area. And I'm not going to show you the villain in this clip during, or, or during today's of this movie, but I want to show you a picture of him and I want to give you his name, okay? The enemy's name in the movie, check this out. Do we have that clip? Um, There it is. The enemy's name in the movie is Screen Slaver. Here's why. He makes people slaves to a screen. Come on. Is Is there anything more relevant for our day today that we are slaves to a screen? And what happens is we look at social media and we look at Facebook and we look at Netflix and we're so enslaved to a screen that the screen provides an expectation on our lives, and then we feel the pressure to live up to the expectation that's come from the screen. You know what I mean? And if I was honest with you, I would tell you that in the movie that is my life, I often find myself trying to memorize lines from someone else's script. You ever felt that way? Like I'm trying to be what that person's supposed to be. Or worse, I'm trying to be what that person thinks I should be. And I find myself enslaved to this expectation that's causing pressure and asking me to carry a weight that I wasn't built to carry and I'm about to break and that what's common is about to kill me and I just need help with the pressure. It went to a whole new height for me recently. You've seen me before. I have an Apple Watch and my watch has an app that connects that whenever I go and work out in the morning at the gym, the app follows like my calories and active calories burned. It's pretty cool because when you leave the gym, you can actually see like, oh, wow, I burned so many calories. I didn't just waste my life. And so, you know, it's one of those things. So I get up and I'll go to the gym. So I have a friend. Y'all didn't see him today because he's out of town, but he'll be back next week. Um, he's normally on stage with Pastor Brian. His name is Malcolm. And we like to call him The Rock because he looks similar to The Rock. And, you know, he's all big. He's a dentist. And he has to go to work out in Franklin real early. So he gets to the gym at about four something in the morning, okay? And he'll work out. Him and James is over here. They're workout partners. And he was telling me one day, he's like, yeah, me and James did 100 burpees. And I was like, man, the only time I've ever burped 100 times in my life. It was an actual burp. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's no way I'm doing an actual burpee. And so what will happen is my, my watch will, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you about this part. So the cool thing about the watch is you can connect to other people's watches and other people's apps, and you can kind of challenge each other in working out. So, like, I could burn so many calories and then challenge you to burn so many calories. And if you don't want to do that because I'll never win, then what you can do is you can stay connected with people and see when they work out. So it'll be like 4.45 in the morning, okay? I'm sound asleep, still got like the eye boogers. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little things in the corner of the eyes. And my watch will go off, and it's like, Malcolm has burned 798 calories. I'm like, at 4.45 in the morning? I didn't even know we were alive at 4.45 in the morning. And you're burning 900 calories, and then all of a sudden, watch this, I got this pressure, right? So I'm like, well, forget it. I'm not even driving to the gym. I'm going to walk to the gym. You know what I mean? Forget Malcolm. I'm getting up at 2 in the morning, and I'm just going to run around the house and burn calories and show him. It just becomes this pressure. And I'm learning, watch, that, that the more and more there's pressure, whenever there's pressure, there's a temptation for you and I to prove ourselves, Right? So watch what happens with the devil and Jesus in Matthew, and we're going to go to verses 2 and 3 this time. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
It's the most obvious verse in the Bible, in case you're wondering. So Jesus is under some pressure, right? He's hungry. He's got a lot on his plate. And in comes the devil, and it says the tempter, the devil, came to him and said, watch this. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Here's what the devil was saying. If you are, then do this. If you are something, then do this something. In other words, what he's saying is, if you are who you say you are, then prove it, right? And that's the pressure a lot of us are facing, is we feel like we're in this place where if we are going to be who people say we are, then we need to learn to prove it. Darla does this to me all the time, and she doesn't even realize it. It's it's an accidental thing that she's doing, but it happens all the time, and I think you're going to be able to relate because I'm going to tell you the most recent time. So I was at home, and Darla called and said, hey, babe, I'm almost at home. I just went to the grocery store. Can you help me bring in the groceries? And I was like, sure, certainly. Let me know when you're here. So we get there, and she comes into the house, and I'm headed out to the car, and she says this very simple line that she doesn't understand was putting pressure on me to prove myself. She said, don't try to bring all the groceries in at one time, right? And so I'm like, say what? You know, you, you go put a muscle shirt on, you know what I mean? Like, don't worry, I got this. And so you go out and there's 263 grocery bags in the trunk, right? And what you do, and y'all are with me on this, you put every one of them, you got them lined up, like, you know, just, just plastic bags lined up on both arms. And you're walking, you can barely, I'm in the garage in between the car like this. Just trying, right? I mean, it takes two steps to get to my house. I can come back for the other bags, but I want to show her that I am Mr. Incredible. And so I come into the house, right? And I'm, I'm like, punch, I'm knocking my kids down with the bags and all that. And you get to the kitchen. Here's my favorite part. When you get to the kitchen, you are now so wrapped up in being who you are, you don't even care about the groceries anymore, right? So you're like, Ugh. And they just, eggs break and they all fall down. And you got all these lines on your arm. You got blood circulation that has been lost to your fingertips, right? So your hands are just dangling. But you prove to her, I can do this. You know what I'm saying? And that's just how we get. And I was reading these scriptures and I thought, aren't we lucky Jesus doesn't react like we react? Aren't we glad Jesus doesn't respond the way you and I respond when there's pressure? Because couldn't you see Jesus being like, what you say? I am the son of God. I'll show you. Give me those stones. I'll turn them into bread. Like that, that would have been a total different scripture if we would have read about the son of God, Jesus Christ, trying to prove to the devil who he was. Jesus doesn't say that. I want to show you in verse 4 what Jesus says. It says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, watch this, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, I'm not here to prove myself. I don't, need to, I don't need to do any of that because I don't live on bread alone. I live on the word of God. Here's what he was saying. I don't need to prove it because my father already said it. That's where we have to get, to a place where we're not trying to prove something that God has already said, where we feel a pressure to be something that God never asked us to be. And ultimately, what I think Jesus is trying to help us understand is that if we don't overcome pressure and instead we fall into trying to prove we are something or someone, eventually us trying to prove it will lead into us trying to perform it. Watch this. Looks normal to me. 
When did this start happening? Since Helen got the job. I assume she knows. Are you kidding? I can't tell her about this. Not while she's doing hero work. Girl, come on. Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't think so. I've got to succeed so she can succeed so we can succeed. I get it, Bob. I get it. When was the last time you slept? Who keeps track of that? <laughs> Besides, he's a baby. I can handle it. I got this handle. So, you good then? You got everything under control, right? What the? Cookie. Cha-cha want a cookie. Num-num cookie. Cha-cha num-num. Num-num cookie. Cookie. You're not cookie. Oh, my God. Cookie. Whoa. Okay. Okay. So, he can still hear you from, from the other dimension. Yeah. That is freaky. <laughs> I love that. You, you got Mr. Incredible, his friend Frozone is his name. He's talking to him. He says, you got this under control? And he's like, yeah. And he's sitting there. He hadn't had sleep in who knows how long. The baby's eating the remote control. He doesn't know where his daughter or his other son are. And he's like, you got it under control? Yeah, I got it under control. Because often when we feel pressure to prove ourselves, the pressure to prove ourselves moves into us trying to perform. And so we will perform as something to try to make people believe we are what they think, they are, what they think we are. And so watch this. We will spend money to try to make people think that we have money. You know what I mean? Like we will do things that we can't afford to do because people think we have money and we want to prove to them and therefore we perform trying to prove to them that we too have money. It's the other reason, watch this, that we will post pictures of us being happy so that people will think that we're happy. You know what I mean? We, we post things, we perform on social media so that people think we are something that we're not. It's why we'll go to the gym so people think that we exercise, but we do more talking than we ever actually do get on the treadmill. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all have seen those people. And so it's a concept of trying to perform. We overcompensate things because we want to be what you think we are. And the last thing we want, listen to this, is for people to find out that we aren't what they think we are. I was studying this, and I thought this was interesting. Scientists call it the imposter syndrome. And so I'll give you the definition of it. It says the persistent inability to believe one's success is deserved. You and I can't, can't believe that we sh can be successful. And so watch this. We think people like or compliment us because they don't see us for who we really are. And if they ever did, they would not want us. It's the mindset. This is why when somebody's compliment comes our way, the compliment's shallow. It's not because they didn't mean it. It's because we don't really believe they meant it. We believe they're complimenting something that we aren't really. It's the imposter syndrome. We put out a version of ourselves, and we perform, and we put on this show, and people compliment the show, and then when we go home, we become who we really are, and we can't ever actually accept that compliment. We can't believe that she likes us. We can't believe that they're our friend. We can't believe that they love us because we we think they like, love, and befriended the version of us that is not real but an imposter, right? It's this inner battle inside of us. There's this moment where, where we're confident, but we're also full of doubt. You know what I mean? There's this moment where, like, I, I want to be a worshiper, but I'm also pretty worldly. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like I want to be a good preacher, but I'm also pretty petty. I, I want to keep pursuing righteousness, but there's moments where I'm ratchet. And it's just kind of hard for me because there's this inner battle between me where there's something that I want to be, but there's something that I think I am. And so I continue to see a dis. Uh, a disconnect in these two things. So this is the imposter syndrome in me. And watch this. I start to perform to try to live up to what you think I am. And problem is most of the time you don't think that about me to begin with because you're too busy wrapped up in your imposter syndrome. And we're all running around trying to perform for each other, trying to prove that we are something that we once said we are or that somebody once thought we were because there is a pressure on us to be that. Watch what continues to happen with Jesus and the devil. Pick up in verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, "If here, Here's the question again. If you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, he said, Throw yourself down. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's what Satan's saying. If you're not going to prove it, then at least perform it, right? If you want, to, you want me to believe you are the son of God, then go do something. Go, go, go up to the top of here and jump down. Go do something to perform, to show me that you are what you say you are. I had a moment happen, uh, gosh, it was probably eight or nine years ago now, and I'll never forget it. Um, myself and my wife and our, and our worship team at the time, Jamal was with us. Um, Scout, I think you were with us at the time. We got invited to go minister at a youth camp in Jamestown, Tennessee. And so our band would lead worship, and I would preach, and it was a, a five-day camp, so the kids had stuff all during the day, and then at night they'd come to service, and that's where we'd have our services. And so we get there, and the very first night we're performing, and I start to learn that it's a small town. They start, you know, my worship leader had tattoos and earrings, and they made him take his earrings out and put on a long sleeve shirt and all that kind of stuff, and we're like, okay, whatever. You know, your preference is your preference. And, and, and then I find out that, that the sheriff of the town's son was at the camp, so he's constantly there. It's just a small town type feel, you know what I mean? It was, I don't know, maybe 100 kids or so, and the camp's going well, it's, it's doing fine. Uh, and about middle of the camp, there's about 5 o'clock or so, we go to dinner, and they have this award ceremony. Now, me and my team, we were along the, for the ride, but we weren't involved in any of the daily planning, so all of this was a surprise to us. So we're kind of sitting in the back of the cafeteria watching this award ceremony. I had never seen a Christian award ceremony before. That was interesting to me. And so they were giving out like most talented singer and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, what is happening right now? It's like Jesus met the Grammys. You know, it's just kind of weird. And, and so they get to the final one. I'm not lying to you. You know how like all the award shows, there's always like the best award is the last award. It's like best movie or whatever. So we're sitting there and we're all in the back watching. And they go, all right, the final award. And, and, and they call this guy's name and he comes up to the front and they give him, I'm not lying to you, the award for most spiritual. And we're all sinners saved by grace. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're, we're all just barely saved at this camp. And so we're like, most spiritual? Like, what, is that? what does he do? Like, does he eat communion crackers at breakfast? Like, what, is, what does most spiritual mean? Like, you know, like, does he just wake up and float to the shower? Like, what does most spiritual mean? And so I'm kind of that guy, so I probably said those things. And, and so we're kind of watching, like, whatever, you know, it is what it is. So, so that night, service comes, and I had a message that I would preach on the road a lot called the dark room. And the concept was that negative, negatives are developed in the dark room, and, and I would talk about how we all have sins that are secret, that we hide, and that if we'd ever bring them to light, God would deliver us from them. And, you know, especially, you know, you're talking to youth. It was just that kind of message. And so we preached the message. The Spirit of God was there, and we had like a, like a, a what they would call an altar time. 
And so people were praying, and the worship team was going. It lasted for three and a half hours. Kids are just praying. We ain't got nowhere to go, right? We're on the campsite. And so at one point, a leader comes up to me, and there was this pile of people in the front by the altar. Because we had laid a cross there, and you could write what that was on a post-it note and put it on the cross kind of thing. It was, you know, youth ministry. And so... um, so there's this pile of people, they're, they're, they're around, and I hadn't paid much attention because I don't know these kids, and there were youth sponsors there who knew them, so it wasn't my job to get involved in that time. I just preached the message, and then I went and prayed, and, and the leaders were there for the relationship aspect of it. So one of the leaders comes up to me, and they go, hey, I got to tell you something, I got to tell you something. I said, what? They said, we got a young man up here who just admitted he's never told anybody, but he's addicted to pornography, and he feels like he needs to tell people, and people are praying for him, and he feels like God's going to set him free. I'm like, man, that's great, that's great, that's awesome. So, so the couple, you know, minutes go by or whatever, and people start getting up, and I realize, guess who's down there? Mr. Most Spiritual, okay? So the guy who won the most spiritual award that night was the one at the altar crying out, I'm addicted to pornography, and I haven't told anybody about it. Why? Because he had been given a pressure to perform and prove himself as Mr. Spiritual, and he felt like he could never just say, hey, that's not who I am right? You give people this label of Mr. or Mrs. Incredible, and we try to live up to the label when in reality we need to be okay to admit that you're not supposed to live up to that label. That was never the label gave to you. Paul said it like this. He said he was the chief of sinners. What that means is the guy that wrote one-third of the New Testament was the chief of sinners. So we got to quit pretending like we aren't. You know what I mean? And if I was going to tell you anything, it would be this message right here. And Pastor Brian said this a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, and I loved it. It's okay not to be okay. There's just a moment where you have to say, hey, guess what? Today wasn't my day. I read the Bible three times yesterday. I didn't open it today. It's just okay not to be okay. There's a moment where you have to recognize that whatever pressure is being put on you to be the incredible mom, to be the incredible dad, to be the incredible student, to be the incredible Christian, at some point you're going to allow that pressure to become weight on you that God never meant for you to carry. And so it's important for you to take that off. Quit performing. Quit saying, oh, I got this. No, you don't. Quit saying, I'm fine. No, you're not. Because here's what I've learned. I can't pray for you if I don't know you're actually struggling with something. Right? Nobody's going to take you out to dinner, buy you dinner, and love on you if they think everything is okay. And so at some point, you just got to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm just not okay. And I wrote this down. We have to stop performing for other people trying to be something we aren't. Watch this. And understand that we already are what God wants us to be. Everything, every expectation that God's put on you, you already are. God made you. He didn't make you dysfunctional so that he could fix you. God made you what he wanted you to be. We've just allowed that screen slaver to put pressure on us so that we keep performing to be something that God never asked us to be to begin with. So last but not least, check out this clip. Jack Jack. He's taking it for a little bit. Edna is babysitting. Yeah. And you're okay with this? Yeah. I don't know why, but yeah. I wanted to say something to you. Sorry about Tony. I didn't think about Dicker erasing his memory or about you having to pay the price for a choice you never made. It's not fair. I know. And then I made it worse at the restaurant by trying to... Anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm used to knowing what the right thing to do is, but now I'm not sure anymore. I just want to be... 
a good dad. You're not good. You're super. <laughs> I picked this movie to preach on because of that scene. Because I don't know if you could hear it, but he said, I'm just trying to be a good dad. And she said, you're not good. You're super. And what I loved about that scene is you got him telling her what he's trying to be and her telling him what he already is. And I think this is our relationship with God. It's so, so often us telling God what we're trying to be and God trying to affirm us in who we already are and what we already are. I, I thought it was so interesting that God would send Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted to experience pressure without any preparation. I mean, I know he's the son of God. I know he's 100% man and he's 100% God. And I understand all of that, but it seemed like there should be some type of preparation because how did Jesus do so well? How was Jesus able to attack that pressure and, you know, meet it face first and, and, and be able to get through? And, and what could we learn from that? And the more I studied it and the more I read it, and I've always told our church this, and, and if you're visiting, really this is for you because I want you to hear one of the, one of the real statements we make at this church. But here's, here's the process. God prepared Jesus for this pressure. Because I started reading for you, to you Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, which is where Jesus was led into the wilderness. But in Matthew chapter 3, before that happened, Jesus was baptized and God spoke something over Jesus before he went into the wilderness to be pressured and to be tempted. And I want to read that to you now. So it's in Matthew chapter 3, and I believe it's verse 16 and 17. Go ahead and put that last verse up. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And watch this, a voice from heaven, the voice of God says to him three things. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So God knows, Jesus doesn't know, but God knows that he's about to lead Jesus into temptation. So God knows that he has to prep Jesus for the pressure that he's about to experience. And so God makes sure, listen to me, God makes sure that if Jesus is going to go into a place where people are trying to tell him who he should be, God better make sure that he knows who he is. And so God tells him three things. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Here's what those three, thing, three things mean. First of all, let's take this is my son. This is my son is acceptance. I, I, this, this is my son. Come here. Come here, come in. No, this is acceptance. For you this morning, it's you are his son. You are his daughter. You are his child. He's already spoken this over you. He's already accepted you. Well, if I perform good, no, 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 doesn't work that way. Well, if I read my Bible a lot, no, 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 doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. He's already, the moment you uh, profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're accepted into that. And then I just believe that as your relationship grows with God, those things come as a part of it. But he's already spoken acceptance over you. Next, this is my son, whom I love, affirmation. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, affection. I love him. I love him. He, he loves you. Understand that he loves you. And then, with whom I'm well pleased. And this is probably one of my favorite. Because, listen, I... I got saved at 18 years old, and, and I, it didn't take much for me to understand the idea that I was his child because he created us. And it isn't really hard for me to understand that he loves me because, you know, I got a lot of people that say they love me, and I'm in that kind of realm of I love people. And, but this was the one I really needed to hear. 
that affirmation of, and I'm the one that he is well pleased with. Which means that you and I don't have to perform and we don't have to try to prove it. God has already spoken over you that you are his son, you are his daughter, that he loves you, and that with you, he is well pleased. And so we did all of this this morning. All the laughs, all the fun, all the popcorn that's stuck in your teeth right now, the Coca-Cola you wished you wouldn't have drank. We did it all for one reason and one reason only, that's for you to understand that that's what God speaks over you. I thought this was interesting. You were singing the Waymaker song at the end, and you were going, that is who you are. And man, I was screaming it. I was losing my voice. I have to be careful with y'all because I'll lose my voice before I even get up here. And I just felt the Spirit of God tell me this because he's like, you're shouting who I am. Shout who you are. Because of who I am is only because of who he is. So if that's who he is, guess who I am? I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. He loves me. I'm loved by God. I'm accepted by God. Well, you didn't go to church today. It doesn't matter. I'm loved by God. You didn't do your quiet time Thursday. I'm loved by God. Where were you at Friday night? I'm loved by God. God loved, I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And here's what I believe. As long as you misunderstand how God sees you, you will find yourself trying to perform for God. Christianity is not us performing for God. Christianity is us accepting who we are in him and allowing us to become who he's already said we are. So Lord, I thank you right now for your love, for your word that's alive and moving in our hearts. I thank you that something you said to Jesus years ago is still the same thing you're saying to us today. And when I saw that clip in that movie, God, my heart melted because I watched somebody trying so hard to be something and then his daughter said that's not who you are you're better than that and I think if there was a message you'd want to send your children this morning it's that whatever we're trying to be you've already made us better and that we would accept it and we would walk in it understanding that you are our father you're our spiritual father you're our savior you died for us before while we were yet sinners, before we had ever done one thing good, you died for us. Because you love us, you've accepted us, and we are your child. So I pray right now for every person in this room. I don't know what they've heard or what they've been taught about you. I don't know what they've thought about you. I don't know if they've been in church all their life or never been in church before. But God, this morning, my prayer is that they would see from your word how you really feel about them today. And that while they're trying so hard to prove who they are, trying so hard to perform who they are, you would tell them, you already are what you created them to be. So Lord, we worship you, we thank you, we glorify your name. It's all in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,